Greetings, uh, Dave. It's uh, great to have you live and and uh, I was going to say in the flesh, but not quite. <laughs> Still virtual. Uh, thank you, George. Uh, but, Good to see yeah. you. Yeah, and uh, you know we've uh, we've called this a fireside chat, and uh, if there's going to be a fire anywhere, it's probably in your home because I'm sure it's much colder where you are than. Uh, it's cold here. It's cold. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. So, uh, thank you again for joining us. I just want to uh, let our uh, you know everybody here know that uh, it's actually I believe 5:30 a.m. your time, and so you're up uh, early for us, and we really appreciate. We look forward, as uh, Jonathan said. Uh, you know, the most anticipated uh, session. Well, uh, I think we've had some very good sessions, especially the two messages we've had. And we really appreciate, uh, brother, the, the time that you put into it. They were very, very apt messages and certainly very clearly articulating the, the topic that, uh, that we had given you. So I'm looking forward to the, the other two messages that are coming up tomorrow. So speaking of early, um, uh, Dave, you wanna, I, I've got some questions coming in on the... Uh, on the pigeonhole, which I'll get to, uh, but I just thought we'll start out a little bit, just knowing a little bit about yourself. And since I mentioned early, um, you know, is uh, is this about the time you normally uh, get up in the morning? And and I just thought it'd be good to just start off a little unusually and tell us what what does a day in the life of uh, Dave Anderson look like? And and I'm more interested in hearing about some of the disciplines and how do you keep yourself sharp. Uh, you know, as a as a believer in Christ and as a minister as well, uh, you know, being in the ministry. Well, the very first thing I do when I get up is I have pizza and potatoes. <laughs> By the way, pizza, I would say pizza is my favorite food too. So bravo to those of you who pick pizza. Uh, no, I, I normally will get up around uh, 6.30 or so. And uh, uh, we we started homeschooling our kids. Our kids were in a school, but with COVID, we ended up taking them out. Long story, but uh, my wife has been homeschooling them, so we have a little bit more of a relaxed morning. And uh, I'll usually have some tea uh, and and read the Bible. And uh, I I've, this year I started. I put a bunch of the uh, prayer requests and and just different prayer items for our elders, my kids, my wife, our neighbors, missionaries. Uh, just on the notes on my phone. And uh, I've just kind of been going through and, and praying for uh, different things like that. But uh, I, last year I read, we, we did the read through the whole Bible. This year I'm actually just with our family reading just through the New Testament. And so just a, you know, a few minutes of reading. Uh, I've all, I'm also working through a book uh, by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's got 12 volumes on, uh, or 14 volumes on, on Romans. And so I'm just reading through his sermons uh, sort of as extra devotional as well, uh, and then reading some other Christian books, but that's that's not in the morning. My morning time is usually Bible, a little bit of sermons, prayer. Um, so, good. So, so Dave, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, where are you from originally? Uh, you know, where were you brought up? Uh, where did you study, and how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, I grew up in uh, rural Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, and my parents were Roman Catholic. They were unsaved, not believers. Uh, they had a very dramatic conversion and came to saving faith in Christ back in the 1970s. I was born in 1980, so by the time I was born in their family, they were a born-again Christian family and really grew up with the knowledge of the Lord. We were in an evangelical free church, which, which uh, is just, a, a, I guess, a non-denominational. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's a good church, good denomination for the most part. So I heard the gospel uh, when I, I went to undergraduate in Colorado at Colorado Christian University, and I found Littleton Bible Chapel, which is where I'm actually in right now. I'm, I'm in the building right now at, at Littleton Bible Chapel. Uh, my brother was dating a girl who was attending this, this church. And, and uh, so my brother, when I moved out to Colorado, he says, hey, you should, you know, come check out this church. Uh, they teach verse by verse through the scriptures. Uh, they don't have a senior pastor. They would say Jesus is the senior pastor, but they have, a, you know, maybe seven uh, under shepherds, elders. And this was all new to me. And they do a weekly Lord's Supper, which was also unusual to me. 
So my roommates and I, when we didn't sleep in on Sunday mornings, would come to church at Littleton Bible Chapel, and uh, we really loved it and just appreciated the leadership structure and, and uh, appreciated the church, the distinctives, the seriousness about the Word of God, the gospel. Um, and so that's how I ended up in, in Colorado. I ended up going to a, a Denver Seminary. Uh, but really, my training was in the church, uh, and I, I just credit the church with being really much better than seminary in terms of pastoral training, and and uh, um, so yeah, that's a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so of my, uh, th thank you, Dave. That's uh, that's good to know. Now uh, we actually got. I had a question written down, uh, but we've got even questions, uh, you know, from the audience as well on this topic. Um, you felt a call into ministry from our prior conversation at a fairly young age. Um, so how did God lead you into full-time ministry? And there's a question on that, uh, you know, being asked uh, by someone saying, how does one discern the call of the Lord for ministry? So perhaps using your experience, you can just help us, uh, you know, unpack that a little bit. You know, I was, uh, I was maybe 18 years old. I'm in university and I'm, I'm asking the question, probably a lot of students are asking, you know, what, what do I do with my life? What, what do I want to study? What do I want to do? And for me, I mean, there's, there's a long list of things I'm not good at. Uh, I'm not, I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer. I'm not going to be a medical doctor. I'm not going to be a lawyer, but I didn't mind, you know, public speaking. Well, combine that with, with the Lord really getting a hold of my life you know, in, in uh, those later teen years, uh, I started speaking at camps, at, uh, um, you know, youth camps. Uh, I would even speak in, you know, we call them uh, like, a, not nursing homes, but folks for older people, uh, you know, there'd be six, six old women in their 90s, and I would go and preach a sermon. So I started doing this, and people started asking, hey, would you speak here? Would you speak here? So it kind of became this natural thing of I, I appreciate evangelism and sharing the gospel with people. And, and uh, I realized this is what I want to do. Well, when I started going to Littleton Bible Chapel, one of the primary uh, elders or one of the elders there, it would be like a man like you, George, who said to me, hey, you need to you need to preach the Bible. You need to study the Bible. You're an expositor. And uh, that really, in some ways, changed the course of my life from being just an itinerant travel around, speak, to really give my life to the local church and to, to uh, uh, give myself to the study of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God in the local uh, church. Uh, and that was, you know, 25 years ago or so. Um, and uh, it really changed my life. And I, that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, so what, what, I, what I'm hearing you say, uh, Dave, is exactly what, uh, what your second message, the one we just heard, was about is, is see the need and, uh, and serve, right? And then uh, as you do that, the Lord directs you uh, maybe through people, maybe through opportunities, um, you know, and, and various other ways to, to what, what he wants you to do. Um, right. So that's, 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 that's wonderful. Um, so I, I just want to ask you... Um, you know, uh, maybe one, one, one question regarding, you know, you mentioned how you came to Colorado and you ended up at the, at the Littleton Bible Chapel. Uh, and of course, Littleton comes from sort of the Brethren background, right? Plymouth Brethren, right, right. Which, is, which is our background as well. I'm just curious, you know, so I think you've also been part of other churches uh, where you mentioned the one you grew up in and maybe some others as well. I'd just like to get your perspective on, on, on what is it about the Brethren Assemblies uh, that made you choose, you know, that type of a church and, and also your perspectives on the distinctives of the Brethren Assemblies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Littleton Bible Chapel uh, has roots in the, in the Brethren, but there's a number of things that really from the beginning of the inception of the church, they did differently. They, had, uh, they weren't afraid to have a full-time worker. That that's, can be unique in some Brethren churches. Um, they were also very, very clear, and this isn't true everywhere, but very clear about we want to preach systematically through books of the Bible. We want to teach the scriptures, um, the weekly Lord's Supper. Those were all things that really attracted me because in, in our context in America 20 years ago and, and even more so now, uh, evangelicalism was sort of a mile wide and an inch deep. It was very it's very shallow. Uh, you have, you know, Pentecostals. Uh, you have uh, just a wide group and, and kind of a lack of seriousness, a lack of 
of uh, what I felt was just a lack of, of a serious Christian who's, who wants to follow Christ. And I, I found that uh, in Littleton Bible Chapel. These, are, these were uh, highly competent leaders, healthy, normal, balanced, and, uh, and, and they love the scriptures and they love Christ. And so my roommates and I, as a single man, I loved it. I'm like, this is awesome. These are my people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a willingness in our assembly to, to make changes, to sort of keep um, the, the foundation, keep the central things, the Lord's Supper, uh, plurality of elders, teach the word, but, but a willingness to change maybe how we do the Lord's Supper. Um, to not just get rid of the Lord's Supper, but h- how do we do it? How do we, you know, we even made a change recently uh, to incorporate the Lord's Supper into one service. This happened during COVID. So we now have two services that are identical. And, uh, uh, but it's things like that. There's been a willingness to not be rigid and not, and, and uh, not to keep traditionalism, but a willingness to adapt and change uh, so I've appreciated that about our, our own context. Um, and yeah, also I, just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Finish up, finish your thought. Oh. Yeah, just uh, um, there's a missions aspect. I appreciate about the, the brethren. Um, every member ministry, you know, the last message you just heard, I mean, there, there's a strong emphasis. That, that was really the brethren that highlighted mm-hmm. uh, every member has a ministry. There's not this clergy laity yeah. division. That's a fake fabricated false thing it's not even true everybody we're all brothers matthew 23 amen so that that that's a that's a we need a revival of that and uh the brethren were really uh responsible for for bringing that uh, reformation you could say about yeah thank you thank you dave for sharing that in fact uh, some a lot of what you said resonates with us because we too have our roots but we want to be open and we have been open to to changing certain things because while there's a lot of good, there's also over time practices that have come in right. that perhaps, uh, you know, need changing. Right. And, uh, you know, along those lines, uh, you mentioned one of the changing, one of the changes that they did a little was to have sort of a full-time, um, you know, full-time worker. Um, and uh, you also mentioned, so there's a question here from the audience that says, uh, I'll just read it out. Dave, you mentioned you take care of 70% of the preaching in the church uh, by the way, we have a majority of our ministry done by the elders. Uh, there's, there's a few more than one person who probably does. If you add up 70, maybe there's four or five people. Uh, but, but similar kind of approach. On that note, is it important to have a preaching elder in the church? Will this in any way conflict or cause problems with the concept of the plurality of elders? Just like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's two tendencies a church can have. Um, one tendency is to, is to exalt someone who is, you know, maybe more gifted. And then you have kind of that clergy senior pastor type, type situation. The other extreme though, which is an extreme you find more in brethren circles is to uh, neuter or to negate that person. And I think the main passage here is first Timothy five seventeen, where Paul says, but the elders who rule well be considered of, of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So I think even in the Apostle Paul's mind, you have you 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 may have elders that uh, are are gifted in leading and teaching. Now you may have an eldership where all five men are gifted in leading and teaching. That's that's unique. You may also have an eldership where you know no one is, uh, or you may have an eldership where there is one. So I think in the Apostle Paul's theology, he makes room for uh, paying money. That's what double honor means. Uh, allocating money, freeing up someone who's gifted in leading. Uh, and usually someone who's gifted in leading, gifted in teaching. Sometimes those correspond. Uh, but to, to uh, finance, having the church finance that, uh, I mean, this, this is, uh, in my mind, a biblical model. And how a church does that, I think, is... There's many different ways to be to do it, but I think the biblical principle is there to, to mm-hmm. pay one, two, or more. Uh, maybe yep. one person a quarter time or half time, and maybe yep. someone's full time. Yeah, and um, and of course uh, on the question of the plurality, I mean that's something that the church has to be aware of, right? And on that, uh, along those lines, there was another question that came in 
and the question says, I have heard the term senior pastor from friends a lot. And I heard you mention about this in your sermon. Is this biblical? If so, who is a senior pastor and what is his role? Now, I just want to clarify that you did mention the word senior pastor in the first message, but uh, you specifically said, uh, you know, the senior pastor is the Lord Jesus Christ and everybody right. else is an unbishop. So maybe, but I, I think this question comes from the fact that even today, um, interestingly, the the model of, you know, plurality of elders uh, seems to be somewhat popular. Um, and of course, it's your own, uh, you know, elder there in Littleton, Alex Strauch, who who wrote the, 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 the most widely regarded book on this. And it seems like a lot of churches are, are accepting that model, but they sort of modified a little bit by still having this, you know, a, a single person designated as a senior pastor. So maybe in light of that, can you just address this question? Is that is yeah. that scriptural and what are the dangers of that kind of a model? It's a very, very good question. Yes. If someone is, uh, you know, the, the Latin word is primus inter pare, the first among equals. And I think you see that with Peter. But what that doesn't mean is that all the other apostles serve Peter. Uh, mm -hmm. Or in eldership, all the, the non-teaching elders just are sort of help the, the teaching elder. That's not the case. They are, there is a true parity. There is a true plurality. Um, you know, there would have been plenty of opportunities for Jesus to say, well, Peter is the leader. You need to listen to Peter. But he doesn't do that. Again, Matthew 23, you're all brothers. So it's, it's important to emphasize the true plurality. But that shouldn't mean we should be scared of gifted men who... Uh, are, are going to lead in this area as long as the church understands. No, they're part of the, the eldership. Let me give you an example, though. You're right. There's a, there's a movement today of plurality, but it's not really the biblical plurality. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, let me give you an example. There's a book that just was published last year in America by Crossway called The Plurality Principle. And he even quotes uh, Alex Strauch, who you just mentioned, in biblical eldership. So he, he, he's trying to use plurality, but but he, it's basically, it's very tricky and it's wrong. It's a bad, it's actually a bad book because he says, really the, the, the elders, you know, there should be a team. He kind of is emphasizing teamwork and mm -hmm. all these people are like a cabinet to a president. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you've got Modi and then you've got all the people who just kind of support Modi. Well, that's not, that's not the biblical yeah, we, we know who makes the real, who, the real cause right. there. <laughs> right, right. So. I think you're right to add, it's, it's very important to, to uh, clarify what that means and what it doesn't mean. Yeah, perfect, thank you. So I'm going to go to another question uh, from, uh, from the, the, the listeners here. Uh, and this question hits on, a, on a, I think, an interesting and important point. And maybe there's an aspect I need to address as an elder of the church here. Uh, so the question says, you know, our church is close to 300 members, but I'm not sure who they are and there is no sort of connection with them apart from the fact that we meet regularly in church. Um, so I just want to say that before I ask you a question on this, uh, Dave, uh, you know, to whoever this member is, certainly um, we understand that challenge. And, you know, we do have smaller groups and cell groups. And if you have this burden, we would encourage you to, to make that effort. It's a two-way street to connect and, and certainly reach out to us and we'll give you the information you need. But he goes on to say, you know, I try to meet some of them often, However, when I read through scripture and look at the early churches, there was, there was a kind of strong relationship that was shared between members, some sort of a, of a commitment with each other. You mentioned the sermon on being a family. Uh, what if there is no such feeling with each other? What do you think is the problem? And why do we find ourselves in this place? Is this why there's a need for smaller numbers in our churches? So maybe what, what, what I'd like you to address, Dave, uh, in light of that question is, you know, uh, how does one ensure that that household of God, the family, the connection, uh, you know, happens as the church gets larger? Some some practical ways you can do that. And, and does it in fact mean that, you know, that when you get up to a certain number, you want to look at, you know, maybe going off and planting churches and folks going off with church plants? I'd just like to get your your perspective on that. Yeah, it's a very good question, whoever's asking that. And, uh, and George, you kind of answered, said exactly what I would say, that there is a challenge when a church gets to a certain size. Uh, you, you, know, you want to maintain this culture, this family aspect, the one anothering aspect. Uh, and so home groups can help with that, small groups, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, uh, you know, meal, fellowship over meals. All those things are so important to the culture of a church. And uh, 
but yeah, as you said, it's a two-way street. And so, you know, each individual Christian has this call to one another and practice. And so I would say to, you know, everybody at, at uh, CB, uh, at Calvary Bible Fellowship, to, to take ownership, invite people over uh, after church, go get lunch, uh, you know, do things like this that uh, help foster a culture of family. Thank you. Um, another question uh, uh, is around the preaching. So uh, it says, you know, I've recently read on gospel centrality in preaching should, and I think the person here is referring to gospel as, you know, the message of salvation, um, I think is, is what he's referring to. Uh, and the question says, should the gospel be preached in the church week after week? Doesn't the church consist of believers? Why do we need to hear it again and again? Uh, so yeah, I think you're going to talk a little bit more about preaching tomorrow. Uh, but, but can you just address that question, um, you know, on the salvation message? Uh, or I, I guess what most people, when they use the term, you know, centrality of gospel, they're probably using a more expansive uh, definition of the gospel, right? Gospel for living as well as gospel for, for salvation. So maybe you can just uh, uh, give yeah, us your thoughts. It, it's a good question. And I would say strongly, we never graduate from the gospel. And so, yes, the gospel's for unbelievers, but the gospel's for the church. This is why the, we do the Lord's Supper every week. We want to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Uh, we want to remind ourselves um, of his grace and his mercy. We're not saved by our works and our effort. We're saved by his work, his effort. Uh, we need to hear that and be reminded of that. The church needs the gospel. And so not to, not to get re-saved again, but to be reminded of our salvation. And so you can do this even, you know, for instance, we're teaching through the book of Exodus right now. Uh, tomorrow when I preach, uh, I will preach through chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, but then I'll, I will end with, if there's anyone here who, who, is, who is not in Christ, you need to know you have no hope outside of Christ. You need to trust Christ, like John Harper. Are you saved? Uh, but it's good for the church to hear that uh, and be reminded of that. Thank you. Um, okay, let me uh, move now to a question that more has to do with uh, not so much the church as a whole, but individual believers. Um, so here's, here's what the questioner says is, uh, you know, he or she says, I feel very dry now as a believer. Jesus is not really my priority. As much as I want to honor him in the way I live, just don't feel really connected. I want to feel personal with Christ. So maybe can you just expand uh, the question a little bit in terms of, you know, when, when uh, and by the way, uh, during our workshop, we, we did a study of the warnings to the seven, to the churches or five of the seven churches. In, uh, in Revelation, we were looking, and, and of course, this was one of them, right, is the losing the first love, the carnality coming in, the lukewarmness. Uh, that's probably something many believers go through at various phases in life. Uh, uh, like to get your perspective on how does one sort of shake out of that? How do you uh, get yourself out of that? How do you restore that sort of, you know, relationship with the Lord, the intimacy of the relationship with the Lord and, and get back on the path of uh, spiritual growth? It's another good question. And I think every believer, if they're honest, you go through seasons where you feel, you feel certain mm -hmm. things. I feel joy. I'm excited about this. You have other seasons where you don't feel it's not very exciting. You don't, you don't want to read the scriptures. You don't want to go to church, but these are the means of grace, right? Fellowship with the believers, the Lord's supper, the preaching of the word prayer. These are the highways of God's grace. And it doesn't mean you can't ever get his grace. If you're not on those highways, it just means you're missing out on the normal way that God blesses and encourages and helps you. Um, so I would say continue in, in those things. Continue in the word. Continue in fellowship. Uh, continue in prayer, um, despite how you feel. Uh, there's a question here, George. I know you'd sent me about. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Which one well, was it? That, yeah. yeah, I think it, it had to do with just. Um, the greatest threat to the church. And I, I think it ties into this of just worldliness. Yep. Go ahead. And, and this is the culture we live in. And I think you live in as well. Um, there is this, you know, I call it the tsunami of secularism. I was um, going to ask you about that because that term came up in your introduction. Yeah. It, it's shared, a no. huge, I see this as a huge problem today for the church. And, uh, you know, it's just the world's way of thinking about sexual ethics, you know, right now in, in 
America, you probably see it, you know, the LGBTQ plus, I mean, it's, it's a tidal wave. It's almost unbelievable how fast this has happened. Four years ago, no one would have thought anything about transgender. Now it's, it's, uh, if you say anything against it, it's illegal. I mean, it, it's crazy what's happened. But, you know, if you're on social media, if you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you, 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 you become, you know, we're, the world's message, they have all the media to influence mm-hmm. our thinking, movies, Netflix, you know, yeah. uh, television. And so we have to just be careful uh, about worldliness and secularism. This was Israel's problem. They wanted to be like the nations. You know, nobody wants to be unpopular. Nobody wants to be, you know, seen as weird. Uh, but increasingly, you will be seen as weird if you hold to, for instance, biblical sexual ethics. Well, are you are you okay to be seen as weird? Uh, you know, being identified with Christ and what he taught is going to be seen as as odd. Maybe you'll even go to jail for it. I mean, who knows where this is going? But but it's it's this worldliness that I think has infected us that we really got to guard against. Don't be conformed to the to uh, this world, Paul says, but yeah, be transformed. transformed. Good, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, a question, I, uh, this question comes from your message this morning where you talked about uh, giving Christ first place in, in everything, right? So, so interesting question. It says, uh, what does it mean to give Christ first place in pleasure? Does that include sexual pleasure too? Yeah, giving Christ first place in pleasure simply means we seek his honor and uh, his desires in all things. Uh, And you could maybe say to say it negatively as it relates to uh, sex, we should avoid and repent of anything that would displease Christ, whether you're single or married. uh, There is a whole lot of ways we can dishonor and bring reproach upon Christ. Pornography would be a a private example that's rampant everywhere. Because everybody, you know, has a phone and can yeah. access it privately. So that would be one example, a negative example of we, we want to give Christ honor in all areas, in the church, in the world, in our own lives, our families. And so sexually, I think it would primarily mean negatively not doing certain things, repenting yeah. of certain things. Yeah, so it would be carrying out, uh, you know, the whole sexual relationship in the context of what God permits, right? right. In, in, in exactly. Uh, so, so somewhat, I guess, not quite related, but but maybe connected. Uh, here's a question that says, the guilt of my sin holds me back from actively serving the church or presenting the gospel to those who do not know Christ and have, and have seen the sinful side of my life. How can I deal with it? Um, maybe you can just address that in terms of, you know, just in general. You know, if you yeah, obviously this this uh, brother or sister realizes that what they're doing is wrong, they're maybe continuously failing at this. Uh, you know, what would you suggest that, that that this person or people like it facing the same struggle should do to uh, you know to get out of this? Yeah, it's another good question. I think every honest Christian would say they've they've felt those same feelings. Um, I mean, you know, repentance does mean making lifestyle changes. So one thing I would say is if, if someone is, is living in habitual sin, they, they need to make lifestyle changes um, and, and, and restructure their lives in some way to sin less, you could say, or to stop doing that thing. But also I would say one of Satan's plans is to keep people so laden with guilt mm. and almost self-obsessed that they never serve, they ne- they're kind of in a constant rut. And I just feel for those believers. And I, I, I love what Robert Murray McShane said. He was a Scottish preacher. He died when he was 29, I think. But he said, uh, take one look at yourself and take 10 looks at Christ. So yeah, take one look at yourself, confess your sin, acknowledge it, acknowledge the reality, uh, reality of it. Don't gloss over it. But take 10 looks at Christ. He's a good shepherd. He's near to the brokenhearted. Uh, He's willing to forgive. His blood has provided an atonement. So by faith, believe that, access that, and move forward and start doing new things. Uh, Share the gospel with someone. Uh, And we share it not because we're righteous. We're forgiven by God. And so I think it's you preach the gospel to yourself, you repent, and then you move forward. Yeah, and I, I would just um, <clears throat> tie it also to 
um, to what you said about the church being the household of God and the family, right? That's what we're here for, to, to help right. each other through these struggles. So I think the whole concept of, um, you know, being linked up with a more mature brother or sister in Christ and being, uh, you know, having them hold you accountable uh, to help you through this, to take you to scripture and to just remind you of what you just said, right? I think uh, that's what the church is here for, right? So by the way, Dave, uh, <clears throat> somebody asked this question, how old are you? And and I just want to remind them that you told us a few minutes ago that you were born in 1980. So I'll let them do the math. <laughs> that's um, right. Well, if you're, if you're bad at math like I am, that's 41 years old. But I, I will say one one more thing, though, George. You know that James, there's a passage in James 5, confess your sins to one another and you'll be yep. healed. There is such an important point about when we deal with guilt and sin to, to expose it. So if it's a private sin, like a sexual sin, uh, I think it's so important to find a brother, find a sister, you confess it, you acknowledge it. And uh, that, that uh, helps, I think, in the process of, you know, it's the koinonia, the fellowship. Yeah. Uh, there's a healing and a health that, that comes from just talking about and exposing it. Great. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's move to another question, coming back to maybe the church and elders. So here's a question. It says, how do, how do we submit to our elders despite knowing that they make mistakes, sin, and accidentally hurt us? I feel I might be harboring a lot of bad feelings towards them that might hurt the church. So if this person is referring to the elders in this church, please, uh, you know, we're always available to have a very open conversation on that. But maybe you can just address that in, in general. If somebody, I mean, this is a common uh, Thing we hear from people maybe that you know well okay we're supposed to submit to the elders but what if you know the elders are not acting according to scripture or not doing things for the right reasons this is you know this happens um you know how, how should the flock handle that or deal with it or respond to it yeah that's that's a good question you know i i think uh, it's important to remember elders are not perfect they, they need to be above reproach but they're, they're the only perfect elder is the senior pastor the lord jesus mm. christ Amen. And so our job as elders is to get people to him. But I, I think it's, it is important to, for elders to acknowledge they're not infallible. You know, we elders, I, we say this among ourselves to our church. We make mistakes. We do things, you know, in, in not the best way. Um, and I think it's important for elders uh, to not be irreproachable in the sense that, you know, and, and I think Pentecostals have this, this uh, you know, they'll quote the phrase, don't touch the Lord's anointed. As if to say, you know, elders can never be questioned or rebuked. Um, well, that's not true. I mean, we, the, the, an elder should be able to be to hear criticism, to hear feedback. Uh, but I'd also say, at the, at the flip side, people have to realize these these men are not perfect. They're doing their best, and uh, if they've if they've made mistakes and they've hurt you, you know, tell them and give them an opportunity to to. Uh, um, to make that right and, and confess that. Amen. Um, yeah, let me, uh, let me just pick up a question about, um, about the using of gifts. Um, so uh, this question says, um, you know, using our gifts in the church, how does a single serve in the church as well as work on studies, career, uh, studying and working takes a significant portion of time and gets even more when one is married? It's a struggle to serve. So, um, you know, if you're not, you know, into full-time service and you're managing a family, managing a career, or, you know, having a career outside of the church, um, you know, how, how can one still make enough time and give enough effort to, you know, exercising the gifts uh, and being involved in the church? Yeah, that's another good question. You know, I, I know I'll use my wife as an example. We have a number of women's Bible studies here and uh, she, she's so busy um, that she, you know, she'll feel guilty. Oh, I can't be these studies. And I've said to her just to release her from that pressure, your primary ministry are your kids and the home. Uh, this is a gift from God and a wonderful blessing. Um, and so I think it, each person has to determine what are their what are the roles God has placed them in? There are seasons of life where it, it doesn't make sense. You're not going to have time to, to minister maybe the way you want to minister in the church. That's okay. Uh, but how are ways you can one another bless? I mean, a, a text to someone, I'm praying for you. I love you. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time. 
an email to someone, an encouragement. Uh, there's, there's still plenty of ways, even in the age of COVID, where uh, each member can serve, be an encouragement, help uh, in some ways. And, and again, there's, there's going to be a, a variety of, of ways that plays out. Amen. Here's an interesting question, Dave, uh, as someone who's had, uh, who obviously has a lot of theological knowledge. Uh, how do I grow in theological knowledge and not get puffed up at the same time? How can I make uh, what I have learned more practical? Hmm. That's a good, good question. I think it's, it's good to be, if you're reading things, you know, if you're able to start a Bible study, lead a Bible study, or, or just be able to disciple someone, you can share those things with someone. So it's not just you're, you're consuming, consuming, consuming. It is healthy to have an outlet of some kind, um, whether it's a class or, uh, again, just one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe it's just your family you're able to share these things with. But I do think finding an outlet, outlet to share these things with uh, is, is good. We don't want to just consume, consume, consume um, and, and not have an outlet. So I don't know if that's helpful, but. Yeah, and, and uh, I think maybe the question is about, uh, you know, uh, letting your knowledge lead to pride, right? And, and staying humble, um, mm. you know, and, and perhaps what you said by serving others, you know, that's something that can keep you humble. Uh, here's uh, the next question I'll, uh, I'll uh, mention is the, it looks like it's coming from a sister. Um, you know, how does one pursue ministry and working for the Lord when you realize that your spouse is not as excited about the interest that you have, especially for a woman who is under the headship of her husband. Man, so many good questions. <laughs> tough tough have, question. <laughs> you know, I, one thing I think of is 1 Corinthians 7, where uh, Paul is he's talking about, um, you know, circumcision and conversion to Judaism, but he says something to slaves He's, he essentially says, if you can gain your freedom, you know, do it. But, and I'm grossly paraphrasing here, but he says, don't think you can't serve the Lord as a slave and honor the Lord perfectly as a slave. And I think about that all the time. That is such a profound thought that someone who is in an undesirable situation, no one wants to be a slave, uh, or a situation where your husband doesn't really care much about the word of God or doesn't want to go to church. I mean, that's a kind of, that's a hard, that's a hardship. Don't think you can't perfectly honor the Lord and bring glory to the Lord and please the Lord, even in that situation. And just an encouragement um, sort of related to this. My, my parents, I mentioned, were Catholic. Uh, my mother was, was a, like a feminist. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the categories to share, but just say very politically liberal. And uh, someone gave her a book and invited her to a Bible study. Well, long story short, she gets saved and she reads. So now she's a believer. My father's an unbeliever and she's reading in first uh, Peter three. If any of you wives have uh, husbands yep. who are unbelievers submit to them. Yeah. Gentle and quiet spirit. Yeah. Yeah. That they might be one. Mm -hmm. So she says, you know, this is the opposite of my mother at this time, but she says, okay, I'm going to submit to my father, to my husband. And uh, nine months later, he is saying, who are you and what have you done with my wife? And, uh, and, and he is born again. He gets saved because of this. Amen. And so I think, I think there is, there are things you can do uh, that honor the Lord and honor your unbelief, you know, husband, or in this case, it sounds like he's a believer, but uh, yeah. there are things you can do. Yeah. Great. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, I think that gentle and quiet spirit and taking your burden to the Lord, right. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I like the passage in, uh, you know, that talks about elders and younger men, uh, you know, that, that's sort of alluding to elders who might not be doing right. I said, cast your cares on the Lord, right? And, and take right. your burden to the Lord. I guess that would apply, could right. be applied here as well. So since, since we got a question, uh, Dave, on, on uh, husbands and wives and so on, uh, maybe that would be a good, good opportunity for me to ask you to tell us a little bit about your family, uh, you know, your wife, your children. Uh, and, and also maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I had heard from Viji, uh, uh, who you work with on digital eldership, that, uh, you know, that your wife has uh, some kind of a chronic health situation. And, um, you know, I'd like to just hear from you, uh, you know, how, how have you been able to 
experience the grace of God through that, uh, you know, in terms of being able to handle it and able to continue a, a big load of ministry and all the other yeah. things that you do. Uh, we'd just like yeah. to hear your testimony on that. Yeah. Let me, I have to open my window. It's so hot. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Office, I need to just, even though it's snowing outside, I need to open this. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so I've been married to my wife, Lana Lee, for about uh, 16 years. And shortly after getting a, uh, married she really developed some health issues that even to this day have not been totally diagnosed um it's it would be similar to like a chronic fatigue um but there'll be times where you know at, at weeks at a time in fact i was in india one time she was bedridden for two weeks she couldn't get out of bed um there's been times where she'll go unconscious and we'll bring her to the emergency room to the hospital and uh, they run tests and we don't know what she has. And it's the cyclical thing where it's, it's just, a, it's been very hard for her. And uh, it's been a, one of the major challenges in our lives is just her health. You know, there's uh, many Sundays, she's too sick to come to church. Um, and uh, so just dealing with that has been, has been really, really challenging. And the Lord has, has just really had to shape me and mold me because I'm not by nature a patient man. Uh, and you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not naturally compassionate, you know, with infirmities and, uh, it's kind of like as a man, let's go, let's get moving. Let's, you know, so I've had, the Lord has had to teach me tenderness, compassion, and, uh, it, it has been a challenge in many, many, many ways, but, uh, the Lord has been faithful. Um, and even though we may never, you know, have a diagnosis, um, the Lord has sustained us, but it has been a, a significant challenge. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Lord, um, I think when you understand that the Lord uses these uh, experiences to sanctify us, and, and like you said, you know, you're not a patient man, and, and uh, these are the kind of things that, that teach you to be patient, right? Uh, right. Uh, you know, I think I think when you understand that, it, it helps you to, um, you know, deal with it uh, a little yeah. better, right? If yeah. I could say another thing, too, yeah. is just tr trusting in the Lord's sovereignty has been helpful. I, I think, you know, yeah. there's a sense in which, you know, this is your lot. It's almost like Ecclesiastes. This is your lot. And uh, the Lord has done it. And I, I really believe in his sovereignty and I trust his goodness. And so... I think even though there's things that I wish we could do as a family, or I wish she was more healthy, she's not, and we can't. And so let's accept this as what it is yep. and, and just accept the limitations and, and trust that the Lord is, is wise. And, you know, D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar said, um, the, Lord may do it, the Lord may be doing millions of things in your life right now, even if you can only detect one or two or a handful of those things, He's, he's undoubtedly orchestrating all kinds of things, you know, and we can look back and say, oh, look, he, he made David Anderson more patient. He made his, you know, he made him more tender. Well, those are two things, but he's undoubtedly doing millions of things. And I, I believe that. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, brother. Uh, here's a question that uh, just came in. When I'm getting close to God, I'm getting irritated with the standard of spiritual life of people around me, I know it's wrong. What do I do? So this is sort of that that thing that happens when you're with a body of believers and 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 you feel like you know you just don't measure up, right? And and that becomes a source of discouragement. What would you say to somebody like that? I'm not sure I understand the question, George. Is okay, I, I think the question is the person is getting closer to the Lord, but but when they look around them, they always. Um, you know, feel like they're not quite measuring up to the others around them. And that becomes a discouragement, uh, you know, to, to them. Then they get irritated with it. They, they, react, they react to it negatively, which then, you know, has a negative impact. Yeah, I'm not sure how I would answer that other than just asking the Lord to grow me and, you know, grow the person in patience and love, long suffering, forgiving one another as the Lord's forgiven you. I mean, those are graces that come with growth. Yeah. Uh, 
there's all, there, there's all kinds of things that may annoy a person or frustrate or discourage a person. And we, we bring those, we cast those things on the Lord and, and ask him to give us the grace to, to love difficult people or, or to, uh, even the, even the grace to view ourselves the way the Lord views us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think comparing with others, you know, we're all on our own journey, right? And, uh, uh, and we should be encouraged by others, uh, you know, by others walk, but uh, and not let it bring, bring us down, right? Um, yeah. I'm just trying to see, um, uh, okay. Here's a question about, um, no, I already asked that one. I'm just trying to, Unfortunately, I, I don't have a way to organize these questions and mark them as, uh, you know, that I've already asked them. So give me a second here. Um, yeah, okay, here's a good one, uh, Dave. Uh, you're a reader. Um, you know, you've quoted a lot of things in your messages. So what are the top five books you would recommend on the topic of one, the church, and two, spiritual growth? So maybe church first. And you don't have to give us five books, maybe a couple of books on each. Um, you know, I love the book. It's a very short little book by Andrew Murray called Humility. And uh, I just, I personally buy these and just give them out. I love this little book. I think it's a wonderful book on the spiritual growth. Uh, on mm-hmm. prayer, uh, I meant just mentioned D.A. Carson. He has a book called Praying with Paul, where he, he does an exposition on all of Paul's prayers in the New Testament. Yeah, I think it's the best book on prayer. It's phenomenal. And that's by, by D.A. Carson? Yeah, Don Carson, D.A. Yeah. Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, biographies, I just so recommend, uh, you know, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller. Um, I think reading sermons, and, and specifically, here's another book I think, uh, every church leader should read anyway, is Martin Lloyd-Jones sermons. It's called Atonement and Justification, and it's Romans 3.21 through 4.25, and where he deals with uh, justification by faith. Uh, I think elders should all know that, and uh, that's such a great book. His books, I just, I really love. Um, <clears throat> book on the church, that's actually a good question I should know. Um, uh, Mark Dever has some good books. Uh, uh, oh, uh, what is the name of it? Um, the Love of the Church, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. It's a short little book on ecclesiology in the church. Um, I'm sorry, I can't think of that name right now. Um, but those yeah, are that's a few. fine. I, I think we'll uh, we've got the title, so we can. Somebody's probably googling it up even as <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Here's a question, Dave. Uh, how do you work out a balance or balance your daily and weekly routine with regards to investing in the church and your family and other priorities? So how do you sort of manage uh, across these different roles and priorities that you have? Yeah. And first thing I'd say is I actually think this is a harder question for people, maybe George, like yourself or others who are full time. I mean, I, I, I think I think the challenge really is, is more for others. I have some flexibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I can, I can spend a little extra time in the morning with my family and then come Mm -hmm. in. I mean, it's a little bit uh, easier, I think in some ways for me. And, and, and I am thankful. My wife is very gracious with uh, uh, ministry and and allowing me. Um, I do try to, you know, have lunches with men, um, and meetings with, with men during the work day so that it's, it's, you know, not as much in the evenings. So we do try to protect as much as possible our evenings. We do try to keep a Friday, um, not, not in a legalistic sense, but, uh, you know, almost a, a Sabbath Friday, Saturday where, uh, we're together. We have a little bit more time. We'll, we'll sing some hymns, um, as a family, we'll, we'll read some scripture. It's a little bit more of a relaxed time Friday night. So we're trying to incorporate more of the rhythm of just a Sabbath, uh, into our schedule. I think that's so, you know, hyper busyness. Everyone's so busy today. Yeah. You feel frank. How do you control it? Well, uh, I think that's one way to, to help manage it. Um, you've got to have a day off where you can spend some time reading, uh, some biographies and some extra books. I mean, if you're not, if you don't have any time for reading, I think you have to, you have to have some kind of weekly rhythm to, uh, to help manage that. 
Um, I've got a whole message on this, by the way, sometime. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe but, maybe uh, I will invite you to share that. <laughs> um, so, Dave, uh, we're going to wrap up in a few minutes here. Um, we've gotten through most of the questions. Uh, uh, have you come across anyone? This has to do with singleness. Okay. So, singleness versus marriage. Um, and the person's referring to, you know, the gift of singleness. Now, it's not, it's obviously not a spiritual gift as such, but a state, I suppose. Uh, how should someone who thinks they are supposed to be single pray about it and make the decision? I guess maybe just your view on singleness versus marriage. Are certain people called to stay single? Uh, what does scripture have to stay, say on that point? You know, it's funny. Just yesterday I was reading in, in, in Matthew's gospel. I forget what chapter maybe. uh, uh one about the eunuchs uh, for the yeah, kingdom. I just, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, you know, the Lord says something. Oh, it was, it was on the teaching on divorce. That's what it was. Yeah. And he says, some are eunuchs by birth. And I was just thinking about that. that that's kind of an interesting statement. Some choose to be, some are by birth. Um, I, I do think the church has not done a great job. And I'll just speak of the American church uh, of recognizing the significance and importance of of singles. And this is sort of back to the family. The church is the primary family. Uh, and so the thing, I mean, Jesus um, and the apostle Paul, there was a clear, there's a, there's really a exoneration of, of singleness and, and the, the fact that they have more time, you know, back to this question on, I don't have much time because I've, I've got kids and well, that's just the way it is. You shouldn't feel bad for mm-hmm. that. Someone who is single has more time to uh to give and devote to the lord and to for the church to leverage singles and use singles and for singles to not feel like second class citizens mm-hmm. but to feel um as much as part of the church as everyone else is how the new testament sees it and it's how we should see it yeah and and maybe um uh, you know i think partly that this is coming from is in our culture here in india there is this sort of you know automatic expectation that one gets married, you know, when you reach a certain age and, right. and sometimes people struggle with it because it doesn't happen. So I think maybe the question is coming from the, from a, from a place where someone mm-hmm. has not gotten married um, and might be struggling with it. And, you know, uh, and is wondering, well, is, has God called me to stay single and maybe serve him? Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, you know, how, how would one, approach that how should one you know respond to that kind of a situation you know it actually makes me think of my passage tomorrow is in exodus 17 where the israelites uh, demand give us water to drink and it's sort mm-hmm. of a they have they have needs and desire you say needs yeah. they have needs mm-hmm. water needs. needs yeah but the way they ask it is wrong it's a, they've got a rebellious heart there's a demanding heart in fact it even says they tested the lord mm-hmm. And what that means is they put God on trial. They're the judge. He's on trial. Why haven't you done this? So the only thing I would say is to warn the single person not to put God on trial and to say, you know, how come you haven't done that? I mean, there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to get your needs met and to uh, offer your request before the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. If you're single and you want to be married, that's not a bad thing. Uh, but if there's no opportunity, I think you, 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 in a spirit of, of submission and trust, bring that to the Lord and, and trust him and his timing. Trust yeah, and, him. and goes back to the point you made about the sovereignty of God, right? He's sovereign in right. the matter of your marriage and the timing of your marriage. Right? Um, so Dave, uh, as we wrap up, um, you know, uh, one of the big challenges that we see in many of our churches uh, you know, is that uh, is that many many folks, many believers, are not serious about the faith and are in that sort of a lukewarm state, like the Laodicean church, right? And there's a question on that as well from someone uh, here that says, "What are some practical ways you can suggest or you use to engage people who are members of the church yet unresponsive or disinterested?" Any uh, any ideas on that or any thoughts? No, other than we have the same problem here. Uh, and, uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, it goes back to that question on addressing worldliness. I think, I think this is a good assignment for the elders, your elders to think through this. Uh, mm. How do we, how do we address this? How do we, um, 
what are practical ways we can highlight this and bring leadership to this. Um, but uh, other than what I said, I don't have much more else to say. It's a good question. So final, uh, you know, uh, very easy question. Uh, someone is eager to know when you recorded your messages, did you have anybody sitting in front of you or were you speaking to, <laughs> to an empty, uh, uh, you know, empty room? <laughs> I was to an empty room and uh, not ideal. I, I think the sound guy, the technician, he set it up for me and then he, he was kind of in and out. But uh, I was just thinking of you, CBF. And, Excellent. Uh, well, it looked like it, it felt like you were speaking to a, to a real uh, I, I wish I could be there and uh, have some pizza and potatoes with you. Absolutely. Well, maybe uh, maybe some other time, uh, <laughs> Dave, we would love to have you over. And, uh, you know, we usually do these. We go away to a, to a place outside uh, that's big enough to hold us. We're becoming too big for that now. But, uh, you know, but because of COVID, uh, there were no places that were open, you know, because of all the uncertainty. So we're certainly praying. We We agree with your uh, what you preached about today you know the church is meant to be together and uh, and yes it's a, it's a bit of a struggle given some of the practicalities today but but we're looking forward to when we can actually have this camp maybe next year you know physically in person so um, George, look forward to thank yep. you bro well, it's been an honor to be with you and and uh, i just want to say let's stay in touch you and the whole church uh, you know as you think of things our ministry biblical eldership resources yep. I just started a podcast with Alex and some others, VG, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know we're answering top questions that churches are asking, or mainly elders are asking about uh, church. Uh, but if there's any way we can just uh, be a, a blessing to you and stay in sure. touch, you know, if you talk about church planning, we're kind of in yeah. the midst of this right now, yeah, and thinking through. So we'd love to just partner with you and work together any way we can. Yeah, and we'll be hearing a message from you on that topic uh, of church planting tomorrow. So look, look forward to that. And um, yeah, and in fact, uh, one of our elders, uh, Brother Ravent, is actually uh, recently, uh, you know, uh, taken on the role of uh, biblical eldership representative in India. Oh. Um, so, um, so yeah. you know, so uh, we're That's going to be. Same okay. Yeah, yeah. Many, many of us are going to be involved with, with some of that ministry here as well. So. It's a wonderful ministry. We benefited from it, and uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a great, uh, much needed, uh, much needed ministry for sure. Well, we're out of time, so thank you very much for getting up early and um, being with us. And uh, uh, I, I think you told me you have a wedding or something, right? Later. Yes. Later yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Later today we have a wedding. Yeah. Yeah, and you're speaking tomorrow, so we'll certainly now we know more about you. We know you, and we'll be keeping you in prayer and uh, just want to uh, just express our gratitude to you for taking the time to speak to us and, and join us here. Um, you know, God bless you and your ministry. And I'll just uh, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for um, Brother Dave and for um, his ministry. And thank you, Lord, that we could get to know this dear brother in Christ. And we just want to, we just want to uh, thank you, Father, for the way in which you have been using him in Littleton and in um, in across the world, Lord, through through the internet and and other ways, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for his family. We thank you for his testimony uh, that we heard, which is uh, which has been an encouragement to us. We thank you for the uh, for the knowledge of your word that you've given to him, Lord, and for the for the gifts that he's using for your uh, glory, Father, and to bless us. So we just want to commit. Uh, our dear brother, we want to commit the Little Bible Chapel and the elders and the leadership there. We want to commit the ministries that he's involved in, especially biblical eldership. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that uh, that you will continue to use them to bless many, Lord, around the world. Thank you again for the for the first day that we've had. Thank you for uh, for um, uh, the two wonderful messages that have called us, Lord, uh, to truly understand and appreciate our Savior as the Lord of the Church and understand what the purpose of the church is. We pray that we may all, all be committed to, to, the, to that purpose, Father, to, um, to tune our lives, Lord, to uh, achieve those purposes, to live by those purposes. And we just pray for the day tomorrow and all the, uh, all the various um, uh, events that are planned tomorrow, especially, Lord, for the messages that, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, to be impacted uh, on the, by these messages regarding the Great Commission. We give you all glory and praise and 
uh, and uh, thanksgiving in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks, guys.